Marsha Van Weinsberg has had many moments in her life feeling hopeless, including almost losing her children and many other challenges that she faced. Marsha personally experienced financial, business, and serious health challenges, all while battling the feelings of frustration, overwhelming fatigue, and isolation. Can you relate? You do not want to miss Marsha's story today. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Marsha Van Weinsberg is a storytelling NLP trainer, a speaker, a publisher, author, and podcaster. Marsha is the six-time best-selling author of When She Stopped Asking Why. I am so happy to have Marsha Van Weinsberg with me today to share her story and how it is going to help you. Hi, Marsha. Hello, how are you today? I am great, and I understand you're in a cold part of the world, and it is winter, but we're going to bring some sunshine into people's lives today, correct? We absolutely are, Carol. I'm so ready for it. <laughs> okay, so let's start with your story, whatever you would like to share. I started, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in my 50s, I happily say that, and proud, when I probably spent 27 years as a registered kinesiologist, I worked in healthcare. I really helped people to overcome you know, pretty debilitating injuries and sometimes even learning how to walk again. So I really did spend a number of years in the coaching and the mindset in the re rehabilitation process. And then out of nowhere, as a family, we started to experience teen substance abuse. And it was something that came into our life with really no warning. And it became like a monster and it just grew. There's really no other way to say it, except that we were fighting something that you can't prep for, you can't plan for, there's no manual for it. And we spent so many years fighting in isolation and dealing with thoughts and judgments and criticisms from other people because our story was really scary. It was something that scared a lot of people. And during that process, I was in the space of looking for solutions, support and answers everywhere that I could find. There was very little available. And at the same time, trying to keep my fake face on to keep my job and to keep my, you know, my livelihood. And so it was a very weird dichotomy of 
living in a very stressful situation, my nervous system completely on fire, beyond exi- beyond exhausted, yet trying to have a job where I was taking care of my clients all day long. So really my focus was completely external, trying to take care of everyone else around me. And I lost myself a lot during that process, which is easy to do when you're walking through a difficult time. We tend to put our own needs on the back burner Uh and we're not giving ourselves a fighting chance for navigating through something difficult. So it really did take feeling like everything was falling apart until I had a moment of saying, I can't do it this way anymore. And I stumbled into finding that no, I was not alone in my story. And there were many, many, many parents like myself. And through the process of that, started to use my voice and started to connect with people and found a mission and purpose, which is actually what I do full time today. Could you possibly share a little bit of that story that people might relate to? Yes. So during during those years, without really like living necessarily in that space, but to explain when we were dealing with substance abuse, it affected and impacted every single aspect of our lives. So for them, it was, you know, school, it was not going to school anymore. It was not coming home. It was not knowing where they were for days. It was, it was that level of uncertainty. What ages were they? um, At that time, 12, 13. Okay, go ahead. So young. You know, as we kind of went through that stage, we have very, that's another story, but we have very different um, laws in Canada and how things are done. And the easiest way to explain it is, is that all of the responsibilities do fall within the parent, rightfully so. And I understand that, but all of the rights fall within the kids. And that makes it really difficult for parents trying to navigate and find their way. And what I mean by that is many people would say to me, well, why don't you just like get them into a doctor or do these things? And it's like, we can't do that because they have rights here. And over the age of 12, you you can't even make them go to the doctor. You can't make them do certain things. And so as parents, it really leaves you in this space of stranded, trying to navigate a really difficult time. And the other message that happens then subconsciously is that the only people who had a problem with what was happening was mom and dad. Police didn't care. It's not they didn't Uh, care. It's they were in loopholes of systems. Schools at that point in time, I don't know if things have changed, but at that point in time, they were passing kids who weren't going to school because we can't fail them because it's not good for their self-esteem. What I'm wondering is when was this? Like in what what decade are we talking here? Um, we're talking between 10 and 12 years ago. 12 years ago when it started, 10 years when it was really, really bad. So within the last decade. Okay. All right. Continue, please. Mm-hmm. And so we basically were in this space where we felt isolation. Even when you said the word isolation in your intro, it's like, oh, that's a gut punch word. I can feel that word because I remember feeling so isolated. And during that time, like, here's the thing as humans, some of our most difficult things that we're walking through, most people feel the way that they do because they feel alone and they feel isolated. And when we feel that way, we feel like we are the only person in the world who is experiencing it. And that's never true. It's never true. But the reason we feel that way is because nobody wants to talk about these things. And so through the process of doing a lot of support, um, one of my counselors, two things happened. They were really pivotal turning points. And one of my counselors said to me that 
your job is to become a springboard so that if they ever do come back to you, that you can be a source of support. And right now you can't even support yourself. And she was correct. She was, there was, I was, I wasn't able to even, I didn't know how to, because I'd spent every ounce of energy I had to try and fix, manage, control a really difficult situation. And so that was the first thing. And then the second thing was I kept saying, I'm so frustrated because no matter where I turn, nobody is talking about difficult things like this. I feel like we're the only people. And I remember her saying, clear as a bell. Maybe that's because you're supposed to. And I thought, that's crazy. And maybe I am. Maybe I am supposed to do something with the situation. Maybe I am supposed to become a voice when it is about these difficult topics. Maybe I can normalize these conversations. Maybe I can help people to release shame, guilt, blame, hurt, all of these things that we're holding on to that are only hurting us. We hold on to those emotions and they're killing us inside and they're not changing the situation. And so I started to ask myself those questions and through the process of it started incredibly small. I had a really good relationship with our school. They asked if I would come in and my husband and I would come in and speak with another couple set of parents because the school said, we don't know what to say. Like we have no idea what to do. And so we did. And during that process, it was like, oh, wow, we actually, I think we're onto something. I feel like we could do something good with this. And that's really where our journey started. Like my journey started is sharing a difficult story from my lens So many people will ask me details about my kids and I'm like, no, I share my story and what it was like to walk through something very difficult. And I will always promise to leave everyone else in integrity. And so when people say that's impossible to do with a vulnerable story, it is, it's not, it's not impossible. It's very possible, but it requires being vulnerable about ourselves and what we are experiencing, what we're sharing. And that makes people uncomfortable. And I understand that. In hindsight, You probably were wearing a face, not showing what was really going on. Yes. And would you do it the same way again? So I often say, yes, I was a pro at wearing masks. I was a a pro at deflecting questions back. So you would ask me a question and say, how are you today? Or how Mm -hmm. are your kids? Or how is Mm -hmm. something? I was great at deflecting the question. And before you knew it, I had flipped the question to ask you something about you. So I pushed, like I could push all of that away. I was very, very good at that. And the mask was something that I had to wear until I could figure out how to find the courage to not have it. So I think it was a very important part of my journey is that mask. And, you know, we talk about the the armor that we carry because we think the armor keeps us safe and protected. Brené Brown always mentions this. But that armor we carry because we think we're going to keep ourselves safe from the hurt, <laughs> the judgment, right, the opinions, right. right? But the thing is, is like that armor it becomes a turtle shell eventually. And what happens, and and I remember being in a space of, okay, great. I blocked everyone else out. There was no one else who could get access to me. No one else could hurt me. And then I remember sitting there thinking, great, we still have the problems. Now I'm completely alone and this armor isn't working. Like it was just this, this deduction of recognizing the armor wasn't working. And I often share this perspective in talks many times that when I learned how to drop my armor, I found my army. Like I literally found my people, my connections. The more I allowed myself to be seen and to be vulnerable, I built connections with people who were like, oh my gosh, me too. That's me. And in the early stages, I wore those masks 
I did have people in my life, but we would spend a lot more time hmm, sitting and complaining about where life was at. That wasn't productive and it wasn't moving me forward. I'm being very brutally honest. And during the process of finding my people and my army, as I call it, now I have people in my life that we help each other through these times. We don't sit and complain and sit in that energy. It's like, wait, I don't like how I'm feeling now. Can you help me to shift this? Absolutely. Let's jump on a call. And I can do that. And that's like that to me, I had to go through that process to find the people that I have in my life today. And I can tell you, I can't imagine my life without the people who are in my life today. So vulnerability is scary. And the people that we are meant to have in our life, we have to allow ourselves to be seen in order to meet them in order to find them. And so when I look back now, like the people who are in my life during those years, one or two people are around. That's it. The rest are brand new. And I'm beyond grateful for it. That is so interesting. You have no idea. Well, I'm sure you do have an idea Mm -hmm. that not only is this audience relating, but I am relating to the point where I spent 40 years with that mask on hiding everything because the things that were happening in our lives were so horrendous. We felt nobody could understand. Mm-hmm. or possibly relate but also once I took that mask off but I was so terrified that people would think less of me which I didn't think they thought much of me anyway you know because you get all these mixed messages in your brain right yeah and I thought by yes. sharing that story they would think less of me whereas it turned out when you know when I published my memoir they were coming out of the woodwork how happy they were that they had somebody they could relate to. So, yes, I am relating, and I wanted to share that because I know hundreds and thousands of others are as well. So, Hmm. thank you, thank you, thank you. You are someone who fought the system and tried to Mm -hmm. save your kids. I mean, that was obvious. Even when you were talking about going into uh, and addressing the situation, you know, at the school, So what did you do? What were the steps and how did you fight? Mm. I fought the system by becoming advocates for them and for ourselves. Okay. And, and this is such a great question. I don't get this question very often. It's a great question. I had to come to a space of recognizing that I was fighting for their future self. Mm. I was giving their future self a chance. I was doing Everything I was doing was to give their future self a chance, which meant that some of the decisions that I had to make, not just myself, both my husband and I, some of the decisions that we had to make during those years, many people could not understand. They could not understand why would you do something like that. And so I would try and advocate, again, going back to how our system works in Canada, most people would be blown away to to hear how our, our legal system works in Canada. But, you know many times things would go wrong. There would be, you know, potential issues that would happen. And the police would say, "Ah, they're just kids. It's okay. Like, we don't want to, we don't want to have a record. We don't want to do things. We don't want to. And I'm like, but when in this process do they learn what they're doing is wrong? If there's never a time that there's a consequence, because there's no human who learns any lesson in life. If there's no consequence, I don't care who you are. And so I couldn't understand that. So I started to become an advocate. And what that also meant that if I didn't like the answer I was getting, I kept asking, I kept calling, I kept drawing attention to it. (laughs) 
My voice got louder. Oh yeah, no, I definitely, my voice got louder. (laughs) I had a moment and I'll share it because it's an interesting story in the sense that I didn't do it from a space of anger. I did it from a space of, we need to create change. This isn't working. And I actually tried really hard to meet with our um, chief of police and you know, it's not easy to meet a chief, chief of police. They're very busy people. Plus, at the same time, they want to make sure that, you know, they're not going to be connecting with a parent who's going to lose it on them. And I was trying to be productive. My whole mindset was that this system isn't working. You need to hear it from a parent that it's beyond broken. And all we're doing is we're prepping some of these kids to become part of a system at 18 because they haven't learned anything wrong, that what they're doing is wrong until then. And I kept saying to a secretary, I tried so many times and I said, I want you to write my name on a sticky note and put it at the front of his desk because there's going to come a point in time where my name is going to cross his his office and he's going to say, I've heard that before. And wow. this is this. It, I, I'm a little bold, but this is where it was very interesting. One of my very first talks on stage, we were getting ready to um we prepped that night for the talk. There was five of us. And as we got there, um, the person hosting the event said, oh, we've had a last minute change and we've had to bring on a fifth speaker. And that speaker is the chief of police. He's going to be following me, Marsha. And I'm like, are you serious? (laughs) So it actually went into this space where you know, I spoke, he spoke, we have pictures afterwards where we had this beautiful conversation afterwards. I went to meet him at the office. We had a two hour conversation. His secretary is like, this never happens. He never meets with people for this long. But I also wanted him to know, like, I wasn't there berating. I was trying to share how broken this system was. Right. And so I, I think often about that. And, you know, my message ended up on CBC radio and, with that, I thought, that's okay. Nobody listens to CBC radio. They want to do a live interview. Sure, we'll do it. And, oh, my gosh, lots of people listen to it. And that's actually how a lot of my story got out. So I started to become an advocate. But it's really important to share that I became an advocate, again, for for their future self, to give them a chance and to bring light to a topic that was affecting far too many people. And the other reason was, is that I didn't look like the parent you thought would be experiencing this kind of story, right? which meant it was all the more reason for me to talk about it because we needed to change the stigma. This is affecting so many families that it isn't just a case that it only happens to those families, not even close. And so I really, that's the, how I started to advocate, not from a space of anger, but from a space of we, we need to create change here and we need to be aware that it's affecting and impacting so many of us. Was there a moment that you can remember when those kids got it? I wouldn't call it a moment. I think there was multiple moments. And I mean, we've had a, we definitely, like I'm beyond proud of both of them. They're incredible kids. They're young men now. They're incredible kids. They've done incredible things. I can say that in doing, let me tell it this way, in doing the work on myself and the healing work on myself, it allowed me hmm. to approach the relationship with them from a space of, I love you no matter what. Perfect. I will not, I will not allow certain things in my house, just so you know that, but I will love you no matter what. But I get to choose what I want in my life, just like you get to choose what you mm-hmm. want in your life. Mm-hmm. 
And that, that took time for that to land. But I can tell you that the sooner I stopped that, I wish I would have done this sooner, but I didn't understand it. Stopped owning their choices and taking responsibility and letting them have uh-huh. the experience of owning their own choices and taking responsibility for choices that they were making. That was a turning point. Another turning point was, you know, seeing them really make positive changes and do incredible wow. things. Great. And also letting them own that. So here's mm-hmm. the thing. I think a lot of parents make a mistake is, is that we wear this badge of honor that if our kids are doing well, we're great as parents. And if they're not doing well, then there's something wrong with the kids. Right. Like we don't exactly. get to have it both ways. We, we, we really don't get to have it both ways. And I think it's really important that our kids learn how to own their mistakes and choices because they're going to make them and we should allow them to make them and also let them have their wins. So, you know, when they started to really make positive changes in their life, I remember somebody saying, well, that's, you know, that's because you've done this. And I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm actually not owning that. That's 100% them. They've done this. I'm proud of them for doing this. And I remember having that conversation with one of my sons and he was like, I appreciate that you said that. I'm like, well, you're the one that's done the work. He goes, but you've supported us. And I'm like, I have, but don't ever forget. You're the one who created change in your life. And I think that's really important is that let them hold those wins and let them have that success because, because they're the ones that are earning it. That is such a valid point. I just was jumping for joy. I don't know if you saw me or not when when you were saying (laughs) that because that is so, oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're taking a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how what you have developed will help others in their own situations. We'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. This has been so interesting, Marcia, and I have related so Mm. much to what you have shared already today, and I know others have as well. Now, let's take it to the next level in that sharing how other people get to the same place and what tools you have that can help them. So the first thing I want to ask you is what you mean when you say everybody holds a story. Well, there is definitely two parts to this conversation. And I'm going to start first with everybody holds a story because I started helping people to share their stories after I released my book in 2017. And then I really started to help people to say, like to share, how do I be vulnerable? How do I put this out there? And I came from a space of like, you just do these three things or whatever that is. 
it's you definitely can't create change until you stop seeing yourself as a victim of your story. There's no, there's, it's impossible. You have to be able to see that you are not a victim of your story. You actually do have choice in how you respond. We don't all like our stories. We all have experiences that, you know, it's okay to not like them, but we do have a choice in how we respond. And so I was helping people with that lens. Then in 2020, my job was gone overnight. My identity had changed from the pandemic, never came back. 27-year career was completely gone. Oh, my But Lord. I had this fear, yep, at 50. I was turning 50 in a week, and it was like, okay, well, that was interesting. Now it's <laughs> gone, and what do I do? And I had in the back of my head that I really wanted to find a way to continue to do the work that I'm doing on a more full-time basis. And I remember the next morning, I woke up, and I... I started working on the online space. My husband's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, maybe this is the space that I've always prayed for. Like, maybe this is, he's like, you can take a day. Like the world's taking a day. <laughs> and it was just like, no, but what if, I don't want to have any regrets. What if this is the time? I had a feeling it would be more than two weeks anyways, but that's what I did. And so I started to put my head down and really try and learn everything that I could. How can I grow my podcast? How can I do more with supporting mm-hmm. others? And in the back story, what was happening there, and I didn't know it, most people didn't know it, I was going through some medical issues and I was waiting for an appointment, right? In Canada, we were beyond delayed, obviously with the pandemic, waiting for appointments. And I had an MRI that had been canceled three times. And here I had spent my entire life in the rehab field and I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And I couldn't get an appointment to find out what that was but I was losing my inability to walk. And so I was losing my inability to like, the pain was insane. And I had a friend who was supporting me. She would come to my house. She did my fascia release and we still didn't know what it was. So there was a reason to this is there was one day she was working on me and she said, everybody holds a story. And I went, Oh my gosh, we have to, we both stopped and went, those words are important. And I don't know exactly what they mean yet, but they're important. That actually became our podcast, became a collaborative book series that we put together between her and I, the work that we do. And the reason I share that is because that was a light bulb moment for me where I went, you can't just consciously change your story by telling yourself something different. You can't just say affirmations and move past trauma that you have experienced. We hold trauma in our body. And I had had, I've had a long history. I had like 13 surgeries and 10 plus years, very aggressive endometriosis. And as it came, it turned out in August of 2020, I found out that I was going to be needing emergency back surgery and they rebuilt my spine. I almost died in the hospital a couple of times. And it was a moment of recognizing that every body does hold a story. You can't just consciously change the story. You have to go to the root of the story, the trauma that we're holding inside of our body and what that's doing in order to actually change the story. That is when subconscious reprogramming, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming came into, it actually came into my field when I was in the hospital recovering. I started to do some reading on it and I went, oh, I think I'm being asked to learn more about this. And that's when I started to deep dive, but it came from understanding that every single body holds a story. You can't just muscle your way through and change it. You can, but if you skip the healing process, you're always going to, that that's always stirring underneath. 
And it's not a very healthy way to move forward. So that's really where Everybody Holds a Story came from. And it's a podcast and a book series as well. And it became the anchor for the work that I do now. I have one word. Wow. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I love the question. I'm so glad you asked it because it really is a bit of a connect the dots when you look back. But it is all connected. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Now, my next question is, tell us what unspoken NLP certification and programs involves. Absolutely. So it's outspoken. And and it's outspoken is actually the, it's so funny because that's what I was called constantly as a kid is that you're, it's too much. And, you know, I was a child of the seventies. That was not supposed to happen. You be seen and not heard. And I always had this strong voice and I was an advocate. I was very much an advocate. And it's so when we started to really experience our story, I lost my voice for a long time. I really did because I was in this space of like, what is everyone thinking? I don't know how to navigate it. This is difficult. So I lost my voice when I really started to connect again with being the advocate and starting to, you know, speak and share and who else can my story help and support it gave the most difficult experience of my life meaning. It gave it purpose. Mm. And I found a drive to use my voice. And so through that process, you know, that was really what I was doing. I was speaking and coaching and I was writing and I was helping people, followed by learning this piece on everybody holds a story and the trauma that was trapped within my body, the experience that was there. I started to understand um, NLP, neuro linguistic programming, the power of our thoughts, understanding how we hold and trap trauma in our body, our subconscious mind, its job is to keep us safe. Our thoughts are driving the wheel, all of these pieces. And I really started to learn techniques of how to release that trauma and what that looked like. I took my NLP practitioners course in 2020 while I was learning how to walk again. And through that process, I started to understand how I had had decades of trauma trapped inside of me. And that was actually, you know, I often say that our greatest strengths, they're great until they become our greatest weakness. For me, I was the pusher, the perfectionist. I could get everything done. I didn't need to ask for help from anyone because I can do it by myself. And those traits really supported me for many years until they didn't. And then when I hit a point where that isolation that I thought was this badge of honor that I can do it by myself was actually killing me. And I had to release that part of me and allow others to support me and to receive that support. I changed. I healed on a very different level. I'm a very different person than I was even three, four years ago. And I'm grateful for that. So I continued down this path of learning more about NLP and I took my master's and then I decided that I wanted to teach others how to use these tools as well, because it wasn't just about how can we put better coaches into the online space? How can we actually, actually help people to heal from these stories? How do we actually change the story at the core? And that is what Outspoken is. It's a six-month coaching certification where you leave as an NLP practitioner. And that's the baseline for so much of the work that my clients are doing with their clients. And that spilled into this past year, I created a program called Write Your Damn Book because I'm, again, I'm bold. I've said that, (laughs) but it's like, write your damn book because so many people I talk to, they're like, oh, I'm going to do that one day. And I'm going to do this one day. And now I take the tools of NLP into supporting the authors. 
so that because we all have limiting beliefs, we all have stories that we hold on to that stop us right. from doing the work that we're meant to do. And we will, when we learn how to release them, they can actually become our superpowers. And so a lot of the work I do is teaching people how to share vulnerable, difficult stories. They are people who are driven to make an impact and help others. And during the process, they learn how to release that hold of the story, release the shame, the guilt, all of those emotions, those stuck trapped emotions. And they actually can come out of the other side in a much more healed, supported state and recognizing that like someone, I would say the tagline, someone somewhere is praying for the solutions you're holding on to. It's your job to find a way to get out of the way to share it. And many people will say to me, okay, great, Marsha, I'm not going to get on a podcast and share my story like you're doing now, or I'm not going to go on stage, or I'm not going to write a book. And that's fine. You don't have to. But if your story is holding you back from being the person that you want to be, that you're capable of being, then it still has a hold on you. So whether you want to share it or not, you don't have to. But it is holding you back from living the life that you're meant to live. And your availability for coaching people. Can you share that, please? Yeah, absolutely. I do so, I have two main programs. So Outspoken is the coaching certification program. We're actually just kicking off the next cohort in the next few weeks and graduating the first cohort. The Write Your Damn Book is the um, six-month mastermind where I am supporting people on actually writing their book. We are now publishing books. We've got our first publishing deal that we're doing. They're all vulnerable stories. They're real, raw, vulnerable stories, right? They're not like put your... 30 days into a business book. That's not it at all. It's like, how do we share that? And I have a number of clients who are doing both programs right now. And then I also have, you know, some one-on-one clients that I support with subconscious reprogramming to be able to help them to change the stories. So that is really the work that I get to do. And I have a number of different ways to support clients in the process through coaching. And you were concerned about losing your job. I know, right? I know. It was, I just, but see, here's the interesting thing. Humans and understanding how the brain works, we our thoughts are only ever replaying the past or predicting the future. That's it. As humans, we tend to be on this space of we replay all of the things that have gone wrong to prepare us for what could go wrong in the future. Uh-huh. And instead, if we can actually play in the realm of possibilities and think about wouldn't it be cool, what is possible – Like I didn't even see that it would unfold this way. So sometimes the worst thing we're walking through can actually set us up to do the work that we are completely designed to do. I totally agree. 110%. Your podcast, I want to know the name and when people can listen in, etc. Absolutely. It's called Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. It was actually um, created in 2017. I decided to start it when I released my book. My book is called When She Stopped Asking Why, because I wanted to start to normalize more conversations about difficult stories. We are in releasing episode 650 this week. Um, It is released three episodes a week, two solos and one um, interview. And that is that podcast. It's like grown tremendously in the last year. And the second podcast I have is Everybody Holds a Story. Um, We've got about 105 episodes in on that one as well. And then I've been a guest on probably 140 episodes this last year. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of talking, which I love. (laughs) And I get to connect with people from all over. And it just seems even more perfect that the name of the umbrella of everything that I do is Outspoken. 
because it's how far can your voice and message go further than you can ever imagine. Well, we'll have all those links on the show notes as well. So no one has to scramble for a pen right now. It will be all available for you. One final question I have, well, two, but actually the first one is, what is the power of radical responsibility and owning your choices in your own life? It's, it's unmatched. It's imperative and it's important no matter what your story is. When I first started to understand what radical responsibility was, like this is probably eight years ago. And it was a space of recognizing that radical responsibility is taking massive ownership for yourself, for your choices, for your like your thoughts, your behaviors, your intentions, how you live, no matter what you're walking through. And ownership and blame sit on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. So if you're in a victim mindset, which again, there's no shame about it because I spent many years there. When you're in a victim mindset, you are in a space of blame. And when you're in a space of blame, that means that you are waiting for everyone else's behavior to change before your life can change. That's a lot of waiting. And that is not a space where you can create change in your life. So when you shift it to ownership and radical responsibility, it means like, is that my choice? What is my choice right now? How am I choosing how to respond? It doesn't matter what the other person is doing. How do I carry myself? How do I, how do I take care of myself? What boundaries do I need in place? And for many people, if you've never put your own priorities first, it feels really selfish. Right. But it, it's not. It's not. Because when you, when you can do those things, the world will get the best of you. They will get the best of you. And so radical responsibility is like such an anchor in my life. And it has been. And owning owning my choices, own your choices, own your life. Those words were absolute must because when I started to create change, some of the mantras I would use is I would stop and say, is that my choice? I'm like, oh, no, that's not my choice. That's not my choice. Oh my gosh. My entire life and energy is about things that aren't even mine. Like Marsha, seriously, if you want to create change, you have to start to own your own choices. And that means, I think this is a really important point I want people to hear is, is that you can own your choices, but most humans, what we do is we spend a lot of energy on shaming and criticizing ourselves for being in the same spot, for making a mistake, for having a failure, for having whatever it is. Can you catch that? Okay, I need to own my choices. What is my choice? Oh, wow. I'm right back in the same spot again. Okay. Just an observation. That's interesting. All right. Now we're going to do it again. We're going to start again until your subconscious mind needs repetition until it can start to put those pieces together. And so it's okay. Don't shame yourself for making a mistake. Don't shame yourself for having those thoughts. See them as neutral. The more neutral you can get in your mindset with those thoughts, the faster you're going to move forward. And so it's important to own those choices and have that radical responsibility. Don't judge or criticize yourself. See it, recognize it. All right, choose differently next time and keep moving, keep moving forward. That's how you create change. You have motivated us. You have challenged <laughs> us. You have entertained us. And I really appreciate everything that you shared. I think this is a po uh, podcast that people need to listen to more than once because you have mm. shared so much. And personally, you have really touched me. And I thank you mm. for that. And I know that you have others as well. In summary, or in closing, in I know that you basically already summarized, but any other word of encouragement or whatever you would like to share before we close? 
So many things. I think I just want to say, if you're in a really difficult point in your life and a really difficult story, please know that you're not alone. That don't make decisions about what you do next based on the people who are in your life today. Your story could be for people you've never even met yet. The people who are going to impact your life the most, you might not have even met them yet. And so there's a lot of people out there who literally are looking to build connection with other people. So if you're feeling alone and isolated right now, I understand that. It's valid. You're allowed to feel those feelings. Start painting the possibility of what else could I do with this? How can I support myself to move forward? How can I create change? Because it might sound like, and I'm so grateful to have been here to share this story with you today, Carol. And I, and I hope that this has inspired somebody, but I really want this to land and for people to know that this might sound like an incredible transformation in a one hour conversation. It was like years of baby steps stacking right. on top of each other. Exactly. Years. Please don't ever think, oh, I can't do it like she did. It was so messy and it was years of stacking those those steps on each other. So every single step and choice that you make will add up when you continue and mm-hmm. be consistent and keep moving forward. Wow. That was perfect. Thank you. And thank you so much, Marsha, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.